from Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I come from a family with some fairly strong-willed women in it and I can remember on one occasion that my sister was being a little bit bossy to her husband, sort of telling him to fetch this and do that and and I, I just kind of, without thinking, said, you George women can all be a bit bossy, can't you? Boy, did I touch a raw nerve, it turns out. And what I hadn't anticipated was that, of course, all four sisters would close rank on me by getting one sister offside with what I thought was more of an observation than a value judgment. I instantly managed to get all four sisters offside because they all talk to each other and they all stick together. It took a couple of years before I felt fully safe to be around them again. (laughs) Now, I reckon they inherited this this sort of strong-willed nature from my mum. Mum was pretty strong-willed, and mostly it was a good thing about my mum. But there were times that she could be pretty black and white. Let me give you one example. When I was growing up, mum used to say that for most Anglicans and Baptists, their faith was all head knowledge. And what she meant was that their relationship with God, it it stopped at their heads and and it didn't go on to their hearts. I don't know what experiences of Anglicans and Baptists she must have had that led her to feel that way in such a a black and white way, but she was pretty strong about it. And it took me quite a few years before I realised that she was being too black and white. Because when I got to uni, I met stacks of people who were nothing like what mum thought they were like. And even when I met Cathy, my, my wife now, she was from an Anglican background, I was a bit wary, just waiting to see whether it was just head knowledge for her. But over time, I came to realise there was something wrong with mum's blanket statement, because I met stacks and stacks of 
Anglicans and Baptists who loved God with their heads, but also with their hearts as well. But there was one thing there that mum was, was right about and what she was trying to warn me about. And that is, is if, our, if our faith is, is just head knowledge, if our interest in God, it's just intellectual, then there is something wrong with that. Something's gone terribly wrong with it. My guess is mum must have met some people along the way who were just like that. Their faith was just stopped at their heads and went no further. And because they happened to be Anglicans and Baptists, she lumped them all into the same category. But you know what? Some Christians go one step even further than that, further than my mum. And they think since having head knowledge only is a bad thing, well, therefore, knowledge itself is the problem. We shouldn't worry about knowledge of God. That's cerebral. It's dead. It's, it's lifeless. It's religious. It's not spirit-filled. We should just focus on our experience of God, our feelings about God, and not worry at all about knowledge of God. Now, I've met people who, who think like that, but God's got a very different idea about what it means to know Him. God wants us to really know Him. And He wants that knowledge to have an enormous impact on every aspect of our being. This is what the Bible calls Christian maturity. Christian maturity is about having a deep knowledge of God that, that overflows into our hearts and into our actions and into our everyday experience of God. And we've been looking at what God wants in the lives of His people as they wait for Jesus these last few weeks, as Dave said. And so far, we've seen that He wants us, He wants to see in us magnification, He wants to see in us mission. Last week, we saw He wants to see membership. Today, we see that God wants to see this maturity. Now, there's so many places in the Bible that we could go to to see this. But we're just going to focus in on a few of those verses that we heard read for us from Paul's letter to the Colossians. And we're going to see what maturity looks like. Let me set the scene for you, though. Paul's never met these people that he's writing to. But through their mutual friend Epaphras, he hears that they've heard the gospel and they've come to believe in Jesus. And so he's, he's over the moon, as, as you can see in verse 3. He, he tells them that he's always pray, praying, and as he prays, he's always thanking God for them. I was at a camp once with about a thousand university students, when I was a university student. And as I was walking along, I bumped into a girl from my year at high school. I was in a year of about a hundred kids. And as far as I knew, I was the only Christian in that year. And so, as I talked to her, it turns out she'd become a, a Christian at university. I'm not a really a touchy, kind of feely guy, but I felt like I could, I could hug her, even though we weren't really friends at all at school. There's almost nothing as exciting as seeing people come to know Christ, especially people you don't expect. Don't you reckon? When someone hears the gospel, when they hear that Jesus died to transfer them into his kingdom and when they believe that that's the gospel bearing fruit in their lives and it's so exciting when you see it happen 
But even though it's so exciting, it's not the end of the story. In fact, it's just the beginning. It's awesome when people first believe, but it's the beginning of something else that God considers awesome too. God loves to see his children growing in Christian maturity. Later on in Colossians, just towards the end of the chapter, Paul says in verse 28, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Christ powerfully works in Paul so that Paul strenuously works to see people mature in their faith. This matters an awful lot to God. And so it's got to matter to us, his people, as well. So what does this Christian maturity look like? Well, we see it in what Paul goes on to pray for them. After saying that he's giving thanks because he's heard how they've come to know God, well, then we see what he goes on to pray for them now that they know God. Look at verse 9 with me. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. This is the first thing to see, that we need to see, about what it means to grow as a Christian. Christian maturity looks like knowing what pleases God. Paul, he's continually praying for their knowledge of God. But notice that it's it's not through academic intelligence that they get this knowledge. See, look again at verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The kind of knowledge that gives growth comes through the wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not just knowledge about God that grows us. It's knowledge of how God wants us to live our lives that grows us. Now, it's a very common mistake, mistake to make that thinking that knowledge about God equals Christian maturity. Such a common mistake and a huge mistake to make because the only kind of knowledge that leads to Christian maturity is relational knowledge. Let me explain. If I know all about someone, if I know all about Taylor Swift, you know, if I could tell you all about every song that she sings, every performance she's ever done, if I could tell you about where she lives and what her pet's names are, who are her close friends, what cafe she likes, if I could tell you what she ate for breakfast this morning, and then if I actually met her face-to-face this afternoon because I went to that cafe that I know she likes, do you think that she would feel like we have a strong relationship? I feel like she'd feel like calling the police, to be honest. When we're talking about Christian maturity, we're talking about having a strong relationship with God. We're talking about having a character that's shaped by knowing Jesus. Christian maturity is all about knowing Jesus and becoming like Jesus. But knowing about someone doesn't automatically equal having a strong relationship with them, does it? And yet, so often, we fall into the trap of thinking like this. 
If you're not a Christian here today, do you, do you assume that the Christian who seems to know all the answers is the mature Christian? Or if you are a Christian, do you think that the, the person who knows all the answers in your community group, if you're in one, that that person is the mature Christian? People usually do. Even community group leaders make that mistake all too often. Do you ever make that mistake? Do you admire the people who seem to know it all? Who talk about eschatology and soteriology and penal substitutionary atonement? <laughs> Do you ever feel inadequate when you hear people talking like that? Feel like you don't know enough? Or do you, do you ever have that feeling where you're like, if I can just increase my knowledge, then I'll be a mature Christian? And so do you ever find your, your goal in community group or in reading the Bible or in coming to church is just to learn more, understand how the Bible fits together and how it works? We think if someone has impressive knowledge of the Bible, if they can talk about the Greek or the Hebrew language that it's written in or the historical context, we think often they must be seriously mature Christians. But that's not maturity. Because that kind of knowledge doesn't say anything at all about their relationship with God. It doesn't say anything. Just like me knowing Taylor Swift's favourite cafe doesn't tell you anything about my relationship with her, except that I might be her stalker. Now, I sort of feel like I should clarify at this point that I'm not currently stalking Taylor Swift or have ever stalked Taylor Swift. If anything, actually, this week, I sort of feel a little bit uncomfortable that she might be stalking me. Dave Harrington sent me a link to a song called Hey Stephen and it made me a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> but listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. And remember this. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Christian immaturity, immaturity, is to chase after knowledge for knowledge's sake. Whereas Christian maturity is to pursue knowledge of God because we want to know better the one who already knows us perfectly. That's Christian maturity. Now at this point, if we stopped here, it would be easy to make the mistake of thinking that the problem is with knowledge. It's not. We actually desperately need knowledge of God if we're going to grow in Christian maturity. But we need relational knowledge. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, it'd be weird and creepy if I knew all about Taylor Swift without having any kind of relationship with her. But it would be absolutely awful if I knew nothing of the people in my life who I'm supposed to have a relationship with. Imagine if I had no knowledge about what Kathy wanted in life, Kathy, my wife. Imagine if I had no idea about what's going on in her life right now, no idea about the things that make her happy, no idea about the things that are worrying her at the moment. Would you consider that a, a strong, healthy, mature kind of relationship? I hope not. That would be a relationship that's in trouble. Would Kathy be happy if I said to her, I'm really interested in you as a person, but I'm not really interested in what you want. Your hopes, 
your dreams. I'm glad you've got them. It's just that they're not important to me. And that's heartbreaking for me to even think about being like that. But if we're not interested in knowing what God wants, then that's exactly what we're doing to Him. But it's even worse than that, because He's God. Now that's true whether we're an unbeliever or a believer. Christian maturity, though, for believers, it looks like knowing what pleases God. And we just can't be mature Christians if we don't know what pleases God. But we can know, because He speaks to us and He makes it so clear in His Word. Where's the Bible? Here, here are His hopes and His dreams. Here is His history and His heart and His character. Here is God speaking to us. Are you interested in knowing what it is that God wants from you? Then read this, not because you want to know about God, but read this because you want to hear God Himself speaking to you. Now, it's at this point that we could think, well, isn't there some other way we can know what pleases God? You know, we might think, I just want God to speak to me directly. Tell me what I should do. Why can't He just give me a sense or a, or a feeling about what He wants? You know, that would make making my decisions just so much easier if He could just directly give me what He wants me to do and I'll do it. But if we want that in the place of taking the time to hear God's voice in Scripture... That's actually selfishness and immaturity. I mean, that would be like you taking the time to to pour out your heart and soul in a handwritten letter and to give it to someone because you really want them to get you, to understand you and then, then saying to you, can you just send it to me in a tweet? Or can you just text me? I'll just text you a question and you just text me back whether I should do it or not, yes or no, and I'll just do what you want. See, that's immaturity like that. That's not really bothering to know someone deeply, but God wants so much more for us. He wants us to be mature. He wants us to make our decisions already knowing His character with a deep knowledge and knowing His will. And that kind of knowledge only comes from His Word to us. But this knowledge of God, it doesn't stop in our head. This is what we see next about Christian maturity. Christian maturity looks like living out what pleases God, living it out. Look again at verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. The easiest way to, to deeply hurt someone is to know exactly what they want from you, but then just to completely ignore it. You know, if, if you say to someone, I know you think your actions say to me that you love me, but I really want you and need you to actually say it with your words. And then if they don't say anything, what is their silence actually saying? their lack of action well it's probably saying i know what you want but i don't love you enough to do it 
Christian maturity, it doesn't stop with knowing what God wants. It, it leads to action. I mean, you could put this in all sorts of ways. You could say revelation leads to transformation. Or you could say conviction shapes character. Or you could say knowledge of God's will changes our heads, our hearts and our hands. Christian maturity happens as, as we grow in knowing what God wants, that's our heads. As we grow in wanting what God wants, that's our hearts. And as we live for what God wants, that's our hands. Christian maturity is about living to please God in every way. And we see something of what this looks like in verse, as verse 10 continues. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. This means that Christian maturity, it's not a destination in this life. It's a journey. Our growth it continues over our whole lives because God's will for us is that we continually are bearing fruit in good works as we continue to grow in our knowledge of Him. I planted a peach tree about 18 months ago. It feels like today's becoming a very um, sort of fruit tree kind of day. Couldn't bring that one. It was, it was buried in the ground. And um, in, in January, it produced about eight peaches, which was great. But you know what's even better is that it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep producing fruit. A peach tree that sort of bears fruit one year and goes, well, that's job done. That's not a kind of tree that makes you happy. The beautiful thing about fruit trees is that they keep on producing and producing. Christian maturity is the same. We can be mature Christians, but that doesn't mean that we've arrived. We'll never arrive until Jesus returns. As each stage of life comes, we look to please God in that new stage of life. And so what pleases God when I'm a bachelor is slightly different to when I'm married, is slightly different to when I have kids and so on. As each year passes, as each day passes even... Our heart is to keep on bearing fruit in, in each new season. And what this means is that there's, there just cannot be arrogance in the mature Christian, can there? How could there be? Wherever we're at, we realize that we've still got plenty of growing to, to go. And there's another reason, and this brings us to the next thing we see about Christian maturity. Christian maturity looks like depending on God's strength for patience, endurance, joy and thankfulness. I reckon it'd be, it'd be easy for us to make the mistake to think that Christian maturity somehow comes from within us. Do you feel that temptation? I do. It's easy to think that if we're disciplined enough, if we're strong enough in our willpower, then we can somehow grow ourselves into mature Christians. But look at how Paul says maturity happens in verse 11. It happens by them being strengthened with all power according to His glorious mind so that you may have great endurance and patience. Do you see that? The only source of power for our strength and growth is God's glorious mind. It's God's strength that gives us the growth to endure gives us the strength to endure and the patience to grow. 
What happens every time that we try and grow in our own strength is that we'll be miserable and frustrated. But look at what happens when we grow in God's strength. We'll find ourselves in verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. When we grow in God's strength, we'll be joyful and thankful because we'll know it's God who's qualified us to be a part of His people. We don't bear fruit in order to be qualified. We bear fruit because we're already qualified. And we'll know that it's, it's not us who brings the growth. It's God. It's always the Holy Spirit who grows fruit in us, always at every point. When we come to believe the gospel, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we come to know what pleases God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we actually find ourselves wanting to do what God wants, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we actually do something, act it out, live out what God wants, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Christian maturity is about knowing what God wants. It's about living out what God wants. But it's always about depending on God to give that growth. And so that brings us to the really important question of what place Christian maturity should have in the life of our church here and now at TNE. And the answer, of course, is that it should be huge. We want every single person here to grow in their knowledge of God, a relational knowledge. We want every single person to be growing in wanting to live for Him and to do it as they depend on Him more and more. We want that for kids. We want that for youth. We want that for new Christians. We want that for people who've been Christians for 70 years. But of course, just because we want it, it doesn't mean it will automatically happen. As a church, our main way of striving for Christian maturity in adults is through our community groups. For kids, it's it's through jam and through those who are parents. For youth, it's through fix and and through those who are parents. But for adults, as a church, our our main way of of, um, driving towards this is through our community groups. And we think community groups are the best places for us to find out what pleases God. You know, when you're speaking to 200 people, there's not much chance for um, interaction. Don't take that as an excuse to start start interacting. It's hard. I always find it hard when the kids interact, mostly because they sort of tap you on the foot. That's their interaction when you're doing the all-edges part. But in a community group, if we're unsure about something, we can really wrestle it through together and figure out what is it exactly that God wants from us? What is it that He's saying in His Word that pleases Him here? That's why community groups are so good for it. And not just that, here, it's very hard to see what we do with what we know. Who knows you know, where we all go? You can't sort of look out for 200 people. But in a community group with 10 people, You can ask people how they're going with it. You can follow up, talk about it, know each other's lives and share each other's lives. You can see that people, it's not just stopping at the head, it's actually going to the heart. You can do that in a community group. And here we pray, but it's very hard to get deep in our prayers and personal. We pray collectively and they're real prayers and great prayers. But in a community group, we can pray for the things 
that we will depend on God in, in the uniqueness of our own lives. That's why community groups are the place where we focus on this. And your community group leaders have been asked to spell good. And it's, it's spelt bad in case that's not clear. But We've said to them to speak God's word into your life as they pray for you, as they set the example and as they do it in the context of loving relationships. But we don't just want them to, to do, that, do that and for it to stop there. We want them to be encouraging you to do this as well, to be speaking God's word into your own life, praying and setting the example to others and loving, and to encourage others to do this too. If you're a parent, to be doing this with your kids, or if you minister somewhere, to be doing that in your ministries. The idea is that together we keep driving ourselves back to knowing what God wants, living it out while we prayerfully depend on Him. Now, of course, community groups are not the only way that we grow in maturity. And in fact, each of us needs to take responsibility before God for our own Christian maturity. We certainly shouldn't make the mistake of of thinking that we can depend on the group to grow us. I've already said, we can depend on God alone and so we need to take the responsibility to depend on Him, come before Him. You can do that if you're in a community group, you can do it if you're not in a community group. In the last couple of months, I've I've been reading the results of a survey of 250,000 people who attend church. And one of the results that I came across as I read this study was pretty troubling to me. One in four people described themselves as spiritually stalled or dissatisfied. One in four. These are mostly people who've been a part of church for a long time and they just feel like they've stopped growing. I wonder if that would be the same for us. Would we have one in four here who, f- who feel like you're not growing in Christian maturity? It's quite possible. And if that's how you feel, then obviously you're not alone in this. But neither do you want to stay in that place. Now, there are, there are so many reasons why our growth might stall. But I want to finish today by running a few diagnostic questions past you just from what we've seen today, to see if that might help if you're feeling like that. So here's the first one. Could it be that your Christian maturity has stalled because your thinking maturity comes from knowledge about God? Instead of coming to church or community group or reading the Bible to learn something about God, we need to come to hear His voice. If we're chasing after knowledge of God for knowledge's sake, then yeah, we won't grow spiritually. We come wanting to know what pleases God. So let me ask you, what are you going to take away from today? Put it into practice even today. And every time you come to church, every time you go to community group, every time you open God's Word, try to think of at least one thing that you're going to take away. Better yet, I reckon, think of one thing of how God is speaking to your head, one thing of how he's speaking to your heart, one thing of how he's speaking to your hands. Just take a moment, just pause. What's at least one thing that you're going to take away from what you've heard in Colossians that God is speaking to you today? Take a moment and then we'll kick on.
This is the second diagnostic question. Could it be that your Christian maturity has stalled because you're not actually listening to God? That study of 250,000 people that I mentioned, it found what most of us already know, nothing has greater impact for spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. Listen to this quote. This is from the researchers. If churches could do only one thing to help people at, at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage and equip people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. That's what they found. Daily reading of the Bible, what we already know, is the, by far the most powerful impetus for growth, for Christian growth. Of course, listening to God's voice. But you know, the study also found that only one in five church members are actually doing it daily. Now, for most of my life, I've definitely been in the four out of five camp who wasn't doing it daily. And every time I'd try to change that, I'd, I'd try and do it because I thought that was the right thing, especially for somebody doing MAP, you know, because I was doing MAP, I really should change that. And then especially because I was at Bible college, and then especially because I was a minister. But it wasn't until about six years ago for me, actually, that I, that I finally started to read the Bible, not as a MAP trainee or a Bible college student or a minister, but as a child of God who needs to hear God's voice speaking to me daily. What about you? Are you daily reflecting on Scripture? Do you know what I do now? My favorite thing to do now is I just read one verse a day. It's, it's the very first thing I do when I wake up. And, and I look forward to it when I wake up. That I grab my phone and the app has the verse of the day. And I just read it. And then about 10 minutes later, I've forgotten what it is. And so I grab out my phone and I'll have a read again. And then several points to, during the day, I think, can I remember it yet? No, still can't. You'd be amazed um, at how many times I forget it. I knew I was going to be talking about this. I'm pretty sure it helped me remember it today. The verse today was, do not be anxious about anything. But, and this is where it gets a bit rough, <laughs> but in prayer, with thanksgiving, submit your petitions to God. <laughs> and something about the peace of God. This is Philippians 4. But it, it was great, just reflecting on that. What, is, what does it tell me about God? What does it say to me? Now, I also read a chapter of the Bible a day just to keep working through books because I think that's good too. But my favorite thing is just reflecting on that verse each day. If you're spiritually stalled, then why not join me in this? Or even if you're not currently reading the Bible each day, why not join me in this? It, it's so easy. Just read a verse a day, every day, and reflect on it and see where God takes you. Maybe even talk to your community group and see if there's others who would like to join you in doing it. This is the third diagnostic question. Could it be that your Christian maturity is stalled because God has identified something in your life that runs dead against what He wants, but you're not prepared to let it go? If you're saying to God, I know this doesn't please you, God, but it pleases me, and so you're just going to have to live with it, and of course, our Christian growth is going to stall. Now, it could be anything, of course, that we know that God doesn't like. 
but the most common ones have usually got something to do with sex, money or power. They always do. Now, if God's brought you to a point, if he's moving you to a point where you can identify something that runs against what you know he wants for you, but you're still choosing that thing anyway, that's a huge block to growth. And the longer it goes on, it becomes more dangerous because it will destroy your relationship with him. Do you have something that's blocking you? Then deal with it, whatever it is. Start by talking to God about it, but then follow it up. Talk to a Christian brother or sister that you trust about it. Now, I don't imagine that that block will evaporate overnight. It could, it might, but it probably won't. But it's as we wrestle with those blocks that Christian maturity is shown and it's also how Christian maturity has grown. The fourth and, and final diagnostic question for you today is this one. Could it be that your Christian maturity is stalled because you're making the mistake of thinking growth comes from you? Christian maturity comes from God, as we've seen. It comes as God brings fruit, gospel fruit, in our lives. It comes as the Holy Spirit moves us to know what God wants, to live what God wants, to love what God wants. Now, it'd be a mistake if we walk away from today and we think we can pull up our socks and grow ourselves up in Christian maturity. That would be a mistake. God is the one who gives growth and so we need to depend on Him and look to Him in prayer and listen to His voice in Scripture. Whether we're a non-Christian, it's as we turn to Him. Whether we're a Christian, it's as we turn to Him and surrender ourselves to Him and place ourselves completely in His care. Just take a moment now before I pray, just to do that, just to hand yourself over to God, to depend on Him, ask Him to give you the growth in Christian maturity. And then I'm going to close and, and, and lead us in prayer on, on our behalf. Father, we depend on you entirely for growth, whether that's first coming to know you or continuing in our walk with you. Father, help us to know what pleases you, to desire what pleases you, and Lord, to live it out in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.